0: Hello, and welcome to the Writers of the Future panel. So we're breaking this into two parts. The first is we're going to be able to um, address, each one of us, a few points about how to win Writers of the Future and on on writing short stories. And then Todd is going to uh, do uh, an introduction to uh, Never Seen Before. It's a five-minute video of his mom, Ann McCaffrey, and uh, it's it's real touching. And then uh, we'll go into q and A Q&A on whatever you want to know to ask any of our uh, panelists here. So we'll start first of all, since um, this will probably be the easiest way to get uh, this out of the, out of the way. Uh, who are you next to me? I'm Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> He and, writes books. I write books.
1: Yeah. And and he never won Writers of the Future.
2: I never won Writers of the Future. As Darcy is quick to point out who who did win Writers of the Future.
0: That would but be he got me. an
2: honorable mention certificate. And I got a certificate.
0: Okay, so Darcy. Okay. Oh.
2: And Eric. Eric won, but kinda only won. He, he mini won. Uh, I'm Eric James Stone.
3: uh, I've had over 50 short stories published in various magazines and a novel out from Bain, and I won second place in my quarter (laughs) at Writers of the Future. Woo-hoo!
1: And I'm Darcy Stone. I married Eric after he was already a published author, and since I couldn't let him one-up me... (laughs) I won first place in my quarter.
3: Well, I won a Nebula Award from the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America for a novelette I wrote.
1: And that trophy has a lot of glitter, but if if we're going for size I also won the Golden Pen Award at Writers of the Future.
0: It's bigger. All right.
4: Next. I didn't win anything. It's
2: all right. I didn't either.
4: Uh, I'm Todd McCaffrey. Uh, I am a judge. I did not win um, anything, apparently. <laughs> well done. I've seen those. My mom won one. Uh, she also won the Nebula Grandmaster Award, so you guys got to work on that wow, one. Yeah. Um, what does the, the Grandmaster Award look like? Uh, it looks a lot it's like, like that, except those. prettier. OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, actually, I can claim some fame that will probably drive everybody nuts. Um, these things are made up. This is loose sight. And there's a little, you can see there's a little nebula or really a globular cluster in there, whatever you want to call it, and then planets and all. When I was very, very young, my mother was one of the earliest people in the science fiction writers of America. She was a secretary treasurer, and she made me make all of the galaxies for the year that it won, you know, which is, it's just glitter and and stuff, but it was kind of like, a it started out being cool and then it ended up being hard, and now, like... Fifty years later, I'm going, like, there are people carrying around my nebulas. So now I want them back. Uh, but, but this is good. Uh, and I am, of course, Ann McCaffrey's son, as you may have heard. And that's, you know, part of the reason we're here today.
0: Exactly. Okay. And a little bit more besides this. You write books? I write books. I, I, I They've heard me talk too much. I've been talking all this weekend. Uh, I write uh,
2: various... Uh, uh, thanks, but I am also a judge of the future, and I did uh, try to win several times, but never did. <laughs>
4: Also, he broke the universe with his latest Kickstarter, uh, if you guys aren't familiar with it, and we are all in awe, and we are, we're going to learn from him, steal, you know, the rule is steal from the best, file off yes, the serial yes,
2: numbers. Yes, yes, uh, I can tell you very easily how to do a $42 million Kickstarter, and that is start with an enormous fan base.
5: LAUGHTER
2: who? Yeah. yeah. So just once you once you
0: do that, then 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 you can do it. Everything falls in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, Moon. All right. I'm
6: Wolf Moon. I wrote my first science fiction story when I was 15. It won the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards at the national level, and then an editor at Science World saw it. So I had my first professional sale when I was 15. Went out to 500,000 uh, schools schools across America. And so I am still trying to beat that sale when I was 15, 500,000 an issue. Uh, But after that, I won about 40 awards, over 40 awards in writing, another 30 in public speaking, including Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh, So I'm a Star Trek author in the canon. And then the most wonderful thing I've been working on for decades, winning writers of the future with my story, Super Duper Moon Girl and The Amazing Moon Doddler. And as soon as I went, I turned around and said, you know, I want to go help other people figure this out so they don't have to go through all the headbang against the wall that I did. So inside of the Writers of Future Forum, I did the super secrets of writing a thread that I just started to help people. And that grew and grew into Wolf Moon Super Secrets, which I now have my first indie publication announced here at FanEx at our booth. And uh, this is just the concentrated secrets that I developed to help people win Eight people from the Super Secrets Workshop have now won or been published finalists in writers of the future. One of my clients as well. I'm a freelance editor. So I'm really happy. And this man right here is one of them that proves that it works on Zach. So anyway, thank you guys for having me here today.
0: Great. <laughs>
5: Hello,
7: I'm Carrie English. I'm a Hugo finalist and astounding finalist. I won the contest in volume 31, and it was first place. I didn't bring my trophy. I didn't know we were doing show and tell. I thought it was only tell.
1: Um, I never leave home without my trophy. (laughs)
7: So, relevant to this particular panel, I'm the slush reader for the contest, and so in order to win this thing, you have to get by me. But I want you all to know that if you are writers, you're on a deadline, because the deadline for the next quarter is the 30, 31st, 30th of how many days we got? 30,
0: 30 days in September. September.
7: Yes. Okay. So, um, you guys only have about a week. Get your stories in, and I want to see them all on my desk. Come on. Do it. <laughs> okay, good. Zach.
8: Hi, I'm Z.T. Bright. I am a writer of science fiction and fantasy stories. Uh, As Moon said, one of his pupils that helped me kind of get over the finish line here for Writers of the Future. I was published in the most recent volume, 38. Um, I was also the winner of the inaugural Mike Resnick Memorial Award. And since we are doing show and tell, I have got my little trophy from that. Uh, and uh, most recently a story in the murder birds anthology which is in kickstarter now we're not quite at 42 million yet yet (laughs) but uh you can check that out ztbright.com you can get all the details there and my story happens to be the uh preview story free preview story so you can go read that now
9: thanks hi i am martin l shoemaker i am a winner third place in the first quarter of volume 31. Carrie was also volume 31, so therefore, by votes, volume 31 is clearly the best volume here. <laughs> the others are pretty darn good, too, but, but we have some pride. Um, since then, I've had a Nebula nomination for my story Today I Am Paul. I have had, I'm losing track of how many short stories published in different anthologies and magazines, and I had a story coming out of Writers of the Future, the 24-Hour Story Workshop, and we talk about that. My 24-hour story ended up as a top military and adventure science fiction for the year, volume four, I think that was. So that's something that I got specifically from this contest, and my career is just from there just kept going. I had the number one science fiction book on all of Amazon for the entire month of October 2019. Part of that traces to lessons learned through this contest.
0: Great. All right, so now, just as a real quick overview, Writers of the Future was a contest, a program created by Owen Hubbard in 1983. It's now ready to end its 39th year at the end of this month and we're heading into the, the 40th year, starting uh, October 1st. Um, it's the one contest that exists out there, unlike any other contest, because it's a true meritocracy. The judges only see your story, if you're an illustrator, the art and a number. They have no idea of your age, sex, nationality, ethnicity, anything. It's just strictly by the, the, the merit of your work that you will win. And so anybody that's published in this series You're the ones who the judges say are the best of the best. As the contest administrators, we don't see anything until we get it back from the judges, okay, number 57, 233, whatever it is. um, And that's when we find out who the winners are. So we have no say in it, no nothing on that. It's free to enter the contest. The only requirement is that um, you're not yourself a professional. And it's up to 17,000 words. We have entries from over 175 countries. And each year we have winners, usually from eight different countries. It's just—it's really national and in, in, uh, international in scope. So that's something that's been going on. It's it, everything's funded. The winners are flown out to Hollywood for a week-long workshop, taught by judges. Taught is they're regularly. Brandon's there. Once. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sometime in the future, he'll be there again. And Sean. Um, But. It's, um, it's tough, that, and then we have a big uh, Hollywood Gala Bash um, where we celebrate all the winners, and we usually have about 30 media that attend and cover this gala, and several celebrities come and help make the presentations, and it's a, it's a real fun thing. But the main thing on it is to help um, inaugurate some amazing careers for both writers and artists, and um, many of the winners have gone on to very, very successful careers, and we work with you a lot to be able to make that happen uh, even after the win. We set you up with media, book signings, um, and we still do media for winners that have won 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, if they can you do something, we absolutely will. We also have a Writers of the Future podcast, um, which right now is a finalist in two categories of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Each episode gets about one and a half million listens, and um, it's very, very successful as well in terms of providing tips and helping the aspiring writer with what you can do to be able to continue to persevere. So with that, one of the things we want to talk about in this is story prompts and how to win the contest. So it doesn't mean that everybody here has won the contest and we've already established, but in terms of story prompts for short fiction, which is a bit different for uh, long fiction, I'll start with Brandon and I'll, and I'll handle his disclaimer saying, well, I don't really write a lot of short fiction. He has written short fiction. It's One of them published in volume 34, so, Brandon?
2: Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, by short fiction, we mean under 200,000 words, right? Um, um, so you want basically short story advice is what you're looking at. Yeah. Um, boy, uh, when I am uh, judging the stories, uh, I am looking for the classic things that make a story work. Um, I am looking for an introduction that introduces me to a character Um and I'm seeing the world through that character's eyes. Um, I am not looking for info dumps. I don't need you to start off with like a bang uh, in the, the, the traditional sense. Um, like some people say here the you need to start out your, your story strong. I'm not looking. It doesn't have to start with an action scene, but I am looking for a character and I am looking very strongly at, can you write prose that evokes an entire world and evokes a character without um, without telling me all about it? And then, of course, because it is short fiction, the it turns on the ending a little bit more for me than longer fiction does. The, the short story kind of gets in, does something different, unique, original, or surprising, and then gets out. Um, and that's, uh, that's one of my, my main criteria is... Did this feel different? I feel like short fiction is a little bit better when it's a little more experimental.
4: So Great, thank you. And Todd? Actually, I was gonna say the same thing. No. Um, I, you know, I'm a great believer in character. uh, And in a good short story, you you can give us a whole new world, a whole new character, and a change. Something that I remember. Is what I'm looking for. Uh, Something that that affects me deeply, you know, whether it's an, oh my gosh, this is such a cool idea, or oh wow, I'm so sorry the triple died, whatever it is. um, Something that's that's, that's getting a real pull and a feel to it. Um, You know, you'll know you're doing a good story when the emotions are in in you and coming out on the paper. Great.
3: And then Darcy and Eric. Yeah, I'm gonna focus a bit on the the whole prompt issue, uh, because a lot of my stories have been written based on prompts I've gotten from someone else that have sparked my imagination. Um, When I was a published finalist with Writers of the Future, before I was a winner, uh, I went to the workshop, and Tim Powers gave me a packet of sugar and said, pretend it's salt. Um, And so I started researching salt And I found that some people thought that salt was cursed because Judas, at the Last Supper, spilled salt. And combining that with the idea of an artist, because the other thing we had to do was interview someone, and I ended up interviewing a caricature artist on Hollywood Boulevard uh, by paying him to do my caricature. Um, And and so I, I then combined those two ideas together uh, and came up with a painter who uses this cursed salt to put his to essentially get his soul out of his body and into his paints so he can do magical things with his paints and so you that, and that comes from hey this is you pretend it's salt you have to you can develop a uh, a prompt and take it in all sorts of weird directions
1: And I don't have a lot to add except for, I mean, just remember they're reading thousands of stories. So there needs to be something about your story that is different. Um, If it just reminds them of the other 20 stories they read, even if it's well written, you're less likely to move to the next step. So try to think of something that's unique that hasn't already been done a hundred times.
6: Great. Moon? So as to prompt some, join the Writers of the Future Forum, and on the thread, the super secrets, every Monday I post a new prompt for writers. So join the forum, it will help you win this contest. And then those prompts, uh, the writers that are following along with it do them, like Zach or Zed, I call him, he did one of those prompts, and that turned into his Resnick Award winner. So doing prompts is important because every anthology, almost all of them will say, we want you to write a story about space unicorns. All right, they won't all tell you that, thankfully. But they will say, This is what we wanted on. If you've been doing prompts regularly, you'll be able to write a fresh, original story on the very thing they're asking for, and you'll be ahead of 90% of the other writers who tagged on a space unicorn on their medieval warfare story. So you'll actually have a chance of selling to that uh, anthology. Uh, The other thing that I work with writers on is Heart's Desire. If you can create an emotional story by finding the very heartfelt thing that your character wants and build your entire story around that, you can win, not just writers of the future, but anything. So I really encourage you to do that.
7: Great, Carrie. Alrighty, I'm gonna give you a couple of don'ts. So even though we're a contest, we are a market, and we're a PG-13 market. So that means that you need to leave the strong profanity out of the story. We won't print the F-bomb. So if it's in your story, it might not get an absolute rejection, but it's going to keep you from winning. Um, We also won't print racial or ethnic slurs, not even if they're coming out of the mouth of your villain or if you're saying, oh, but this person is bullying my character and that's why they used the N-word. We still won't print it. Um, Look up standard manuscript format and follow it, please. Um, I've had stories submitted on black backgrounds with rainbow-bolded text, and it's too hard to read. So... Let's see what else. Um, no fan fiction. I love fan fiction. I've read fan fiction. I've written it, but we don't accept it because it's a copyright problem. No song lyrics, also a copyright problem, because we can't be chasing down whether or not it's public domain. So those are some don'ts, and that will help you avoid some of the very common pitfalls. Also, short story contest no novels, no screenplays, no poetry. Um, no Amtrak receipts. I, I have an Amtrak receipt that someone submitted. I think it was performance art. But um, So short stories, please. Flash fiction is okay. Drabbles, probably not.
0: Great. Right.
2: When I worked on uh, a magazine in college, I, I'm just curious to know, we got in a row like three stories that had the same quote-unquote twist ending i'm curious if you see this all the time or not we had the it was secretly the garden of eve and they're adam and eve we got that like three different stories in a row um so uh we we made it kind of meme never do that in your story do you see that
7: absolutely the whole they're adam and eve oh my god it still happens we still get a number of those A couple quarters back, it was flying whales. I don't know where the flying whales came from, (laughs) but there were several stories about flying whales. Um, Sometimes I think that it's an anthology where these are the stories that didn't make the anthology call, or sometimes I think that they could be from his prompts. Um, We had some really good stories that had to do with tree roots, and they fortunately were very different. They weren't like all copycat of the same story. But yeah, sometimes, sometimes we see themes. Um, and we still occasionally get the story about the brave sperm fighting its way to the egg.
2: Have you been getting a lot of pandemic stories?
7: Yes. <laughs> oh, and, and look, it's been going on for three years now. So the only pandemic story that's ever made it past me It wasn't COVID. You could tell it was kind of COVID-adjacent, but it had vampires and cops in it, and it was really, really cool. But I have rejected a lot of stories that's like, COVID turns people into zombies. Um, So it does need to be, it, it needs to be original. And the problem with COVID turns people into zombies is that It won't be fiction in a couple of years because we'll know, no, it didn't. Or we'll know, yeah, it did. So,
1: that being said, um, my story that won in 2018 was about a pandemic that started in China. So,
8: go
0: figure.
9: Be ahead of the curve, not behind. Okay.
0: Okay, ZT.
8: Uh, To Carrie's point about a short story contest, uh, if you're trying to win or or get published in short stories, uh, I think if you're trying to get there and you haven't gotten there yet, you've probably got a problem with pacing. Uh, You're probably trying to write really short novels in a novelish way. Uh, And so working on your pacing, uh, as Brandon said, kind of getting into an interesting beginning and making all your try-fail cycles and, and your characters' attempts to do something snappy and quick, and pull the reader through. Uh, you don't have time to send your characters on side quests and all that sort of thing in a, in a short story. So uh, get, get in, get out, and make it snappy. OK, Martin.
9: All right, I, I want to preface this with a comment because I'm about to crash the party on some of what came here before. I was reading recently on a phenomenon they call open-label placebo. It's a test with placebo for controls where they tell you you're getting the placebo, and people still feel better. Because there's something going on in the psychology of this, which is why I'm about to say something that's going to have them all scream at me. Prompts are bollocks. (laughs) They're useful bollocks. It's like the placebo effect. The real point is you're not moving right now on your writing. The prompt is to trick you to get moving. And if the prompt is off in that way, and you write a great story off in that direction, that's a win. Unless you're trying to meet a very very specific theme, that's a win. So when we talk to you about prompts, don't feel like you're failing if you can't follow the
0: prompt. If you start producing words, keep moving. Thank you on that. Now, what I'm going to do here is um, we're going to um, Todd's going to introduce this uh, short video of uh, his mom, Ann, and then we're going to open up the rest of the panel to uh, questions. So we have the microphone set up there, so if anybody has questions for anybody in the panel, you can queue up there. But anyway, so uh, Todd, please, uh, a quick little um, intro to uh, Ann McCaffrey. So
4: mom became a judge, gosh, I can't remember when, years back now, uh, over 25 years ago, uh, and she always believed in pay it forward. Uh, and what we're going to have here is a quick video made up from interviews with her, uh, advice from a master, and I hope you guys enjoy it.
5: The Writers of the Future contest is is a fine one. Uh, there's nothing else quite like it in the world. I wish I hadn't published before because I could have used it, the training they get here. Uh, I think it's a marvelous thing that L. Ron Hubbard has done. And it's the best memorial he could possibly have. When I first heard about the contest, Algis Boudris, who was one of the organizers, uh, was telling me all about it. I said, it was a marvelous idea. Of course, I got hung with it, but I didn't mind. Uh, It was interesting to see what people were writing about and how they were handling new material. So I've been a judge ever since. I'm damn proud of it. The Writers of the Future contest gives them a great deal of confidence, for one thing. Somebody wants to publish something they've written. Uh, It's hard enough to write and to get published. This at least offers them an opportunity of having their stories seen very quickly, and some of them have gone on to do very, very well indeed. Oddly enough, although there are many processes between your sending the story off and getting it published, if you mean it from the depths of your heart, That emotion comes across to the reader. And very often you've read a book and it's because the the writer himself or herself was not involved enough with the storytelling. That's, uh, I tell people, write me, tell me a story and write it. That's the hard work, putting the bum down in the chair and the hands on the keyboard and doing it. But I've had quite a few people uh, who have actually sat down and done it and then set it off. And a good percentage of them have been published because they meant the story they were writing. Many people come up and say, I have this marvelous story. I said, well, sit down and write it. Oh, I couldn't. I said, why not? But you, you're, you're published and I said, it has nothing to do with it. If I tell what the facts of your story, it will not be the story you would write because your involvement makes a difference. And that's true in one of my first stories, the ship was saying I used emotion, grief, as a main mechanism behind it. And I can't read the story aloud. I usually have a, uh, a script. And I get somebody else to do the last part because I always burst into tears. And I was doing uh, an interview at one of the British conventions and the BBC was filming us. And they were right in front of me. And my son was doing the other part, who is now a writer, published writer. And we got to the part where I stopped and let him take over. And I looked over at the cameramen, and they were crying. (laughs) My golly, that story still is worth something when you can make BBC hardened cameramen cry. (laughs) I have felt every single story I have ever written. And at one point, the story itself required me to kill two of my great characters, uh, Master Harper Robinson, and Ivas, the artificial intelligent voice address system, which is how my people, 2,000 years away from his ordination, if you want to call it, he was able to figure out the linguistic changes between the then and the now. Both had become so important to the uh, inhabitants that they were relying on them instead of their own wisdom, which they had plenty of. So the Avos turned himself off and Robinson died, because there is a time for everything. That, that I used as the last flicker on the, making me do it again. But the tears were streaming down my face, because I, I was killing a marvelous person. But he too knew that the time had come for him to go. But Oh Lord, everyone gets mad at me for killing my people, but uh, it's sometimes dramatically necessary I invent worlds where things can happen that couldn't happen here, and problems that arise that wouldn't happen here. But they are ineluctably, of course, word tarnished by what is going on in the world around me. I can't avoid that. And every now and then I get off some good cracks. (laughs) Of course, only people who read science fiction would never get them. I know what goes into writing, and it's hard work. And it is lonely, but uh, oh the reward when you see your name in, in the bookshop, that's fine. <laughs> it's great. There's nothing else will quite like it. If there's anyone listening to this who would like to write, I would recommend highly that they finish a story and send it into the L. Ron Hubbard Writers of the Future. Because some of them are writers of the future.
0: There you go, so that was a world premiere of that one. Okay, and just so you know, we do have our Rise to the Future booth is uh, literally right across the hall at 1713. And you're welcome to come over there and um, get copies of various books and stuff. And tomorrow, pretty much throughout the day, we're going to have past winners there uh, signing books. So let's start now with our Q&A. So ladies first.
7: Uh, this is for the panel in general. Uh, in your experience, has um, t- based on a true story, stories made it and they, um, had a fair chance?
9: Can you insert a speculative element? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it needs yeah, to be a common or speculative, or speculative
7: um, element. My grandma was a black widow in real life, and I've always thought about making like a fictional story off of her. Um, just kind of around that, you know, removing certain elements.
9: They need to see some magic or some fantasy early in, and it needs to be integral to the plot. So if you can modify the true story to cover that, you could have something great.
7: My winning story happens to be about somebody from my very tiny, tiny town um, who had a tragic death, and I turned him into Poseidon. So it needs a speculative element. But yes, you can do it.
0: Great. OK, yes? Uh, so my, my
8: question is, we talked a, a little bit about you know, keeping our pacing in check. Every time I try to write a short story, I end up writing a novella. What are some methods you could suggest to pull back on that pacing and sh- keep
4: Kill it in every sense? adverb you ever found. <laughs> Anything that ends in L-Y should die. All right. Um, consider. Hmm? Sorry,
3: I said it should die quickly. <laughs> oh, quickly.
4: All right, see, now you added an adverb. That was unnecessary. Uh, notice how, how you held the timing and all. And notice how much time we spent on this. Um, that would be the first thing that's going to speed it up. Look at taking, always take scenes late and end early. Um, you know, if people have to walk into a coffee shop, no, they're just sitting there right now. They've already got their coffee, whatever. Uh, look at that um, if you're saying you've got a novella and you want to make se you've got 20,000 words you want to make 7,000 words out of it now you got a job to do all right so you're gonna go through and say I'm, I'm pulling this down I'm writing it tighter
2: yeah, it's it, doable and um, you, you can do 17,000 words like the story that I got an honorable mention for was like 16,950 words, <laughs> right? And you can go up to 17,000. Yeah. Um, that said, I will maybe buck the trend here a little bit. Um, if you naturally don't write at this length, like it may not be what you want to write. Uh, that's, that's an odd thing to say on a short story panel, but uh, if, you want to, if you want to write short stories, you need to be reading them. Um, getting short story collections, seeing what other people are doing, and internalizing that pacing, it is very different. And it may just not work for you. I didn't write a single short story until I'd finished something like eight novels. Um, Because the novel form was actually more natural to me. And it was after that that I started studying it, reading short stories, and then started to get better at it.
1: And I also will say, like, one thing my husband is really good at is implying a tremendous amount of world building with, like, two sentences. And I don't know how he does it, but it is possible.
4: What was the famous six-word short story? For sale, baby shoes, never used. (laughs) Notice, I just killed you with a story right there. Six words, guys. So something to think about. One thing, I I agree that longer allows you to do a lot more, but sometimes shorter can be just so amazing.
9: And sometimes that a lot more you don't need if your target is short. A a very rough mathematical rule of thumb is two characters are twice as big of a story as one, but three characters are six times as big. Four characters are ten times as big. Look for those characters and say, do I need all of them to concentrate on the gem? Good. All right. Awesome. Thank you.
1: Okay. Yes. So um, I'm just wondering, I know failure happens a lot. Like you submit your, your, your story and it doesn't go through, or you get submitted and it goes through, but you don't win. I'm just curious, for those of you who actually did submit in the contest and win,
7: how many times did you submit prior before actually winning? Well, that means- yeah,
1: guess, Wolf, okay.
6: want to answer that? I, I probably entered over 40 times. Um, and what I was, I'm a novelist disguising himself as a short story writer. But I I wanted to perfect short story first before I moved on. I, I, I didn't want to write the eight novels first. Sorry, Brandon. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to have something first and then move to that so that my first one will sell. Um, that was just my thing that I wanted to do. And I knew I could win Writers of the Future, so it was incredibly frustrating to me that I would get semi and I couldn't hit it. But I had to learn to kill my darlings. And when you hit semifinalist, you get a critique from the coordinating judge, which was David Farland at that time. And he said, Moon, he said, on a level of world building alone, your story was probably greater than all the other stories that were submitted. He said, and I so wanted to make it a winner, but you have to learn to kill your darlings. And that's the problem when we begin writing, that we think we have to stick everything in there but the kitchen sink so people understand it. Instead, trust your readers that they know all of that stuff or will get it. And that's why Eric's trick works, where you can hint at a few things very smartly, and it will open up gigantic worlds like the Argonauts and Lord of the Rings. It says so much to seeing those giant statues there as they pass along by.
0: Great. Right. Um, yes.
3: So... Does the no-fan-fiction rule extend to public domain works? For example, would a work involving Cthulhu or
7: Hamlet, but he's a werewolf now, be an automatic project? So if it's a public domain work, um, it's okay, but all of it has to be public domain. For instance, there are parts of Sherlock Holmes that are not, and we're not going to take the risk because we don't have time to chase down whether or not you you did all your homework. Also, um, there's an originality problem when you're writing in someone else's universe. And it will be harder for your story to be as original as completely made-up stories. So yes, you can do it. Um, even when you're using, like, vampires and werewolves. We've had vampire stories win. We've had werewolf stories win. Um, but you have to have an original vampire, werewolf, Cthulhu story. Um, so yes, but be careful. The original. You. All right,
3: um, so mine is, what internal conflict is a timeless go-to for future
2: writers? What internal conflict for a character are you talking about or is it conflict yes. that drives we us? We all
3: know that stories are usually driven by the internal
2: conflict of a character, but a lot of times it's very many I mean, because you want to be able to relate to the reader. So what timeless one is there you could go to? The most famous one is the conflict between what you want and what you need. Uh, this is the classic one that, that's brought up. It, the, the character coming to learn that the thing they wanted, they need to give up for something that they need or that is a greater need. Uh, and that's like the most famous one, I think. Um,
3: yeah, a, a variation on that is uh, putting in conflict what the person wants most and what they fear the most.
9: Mm-hmm. And a slight variation from there um, is identity. There's, I forget the great screenwriter who argued that all great internal conflicts ultimately come down to to who you really are, which is part of that conflict of want versus need and so on.
3: So is that like a good one that anyone can go to and that would really work?
2: I mean, all of these can. It just depends on the story you're writing. Uh, Make it personal to you. Start with that. Like, Pick a conflict from your life. Expand that into a character.
4: Yeah, please don't make the mistake of writing for us. Mm -hmm. You need to be writing for you. Then you want, David Gerald has this great thing. He says, you know, uh, I write what I want and you pay for the privilege of reading over my shoulder. Uh, And that's, I'm really, the stuff you love, that's what you want to work on. Uh, And you get it there, we'll love it too. But if you're sitting there saying to yourself, this is a great story because I took this from Star Wars, this from Lord of the Rings and that, no. Because it's not you. What's interesting about your stories is you are writing them. Awesome, thank you. Great.
0: Great.
2: So in, like, talking about mental health in books, how do you, especially if you don't want to use the words that we currently have assigned to certain disorders, how do you bring that up without using words like hysteria, which are rather damaging to the people who experience those mental health problems? That's an excellent question. I have to do this a lot uh, in the type of story, stories I'm writing. Uh, and it is something I've had to ask myself, um, I go to as many primary sources as I can with people describing what it feels like. And if you uh, if you read enough people discussing uh, something like depression or even something like dissociative identity disorder, you will see themes in the way they describe the feeling of living um, with uh, with these kinds of disorders. And if you get those descriptions right. The people for whom that's the most important, the people who feel that will see that and be like, all right, this works. And at that point, you don't necessarily need to use the the, the terminology, um, and I think you are right. I would stay away from some of the... Because what happens is um, is a medical term becomes used by the public and then becomes stigmatized repeatedly through history. And so you're left with the current terms, which are very clinical or... Our past terms which have become stigmatized. And I would recommend you are completely, I just want to put a point on that so people understood what you're saying. Um, uh, go to the primary sources, read people's journals. You live in a wonderful time for understanding other human beings because so many people are willing to give primary sources for you on that. And that's what's worked for me. if you have
1: access to any sensitivity readers, that's also great too. Like, oh yeah. To kind of just get their input.
2: Depending on what you're writing about, I would find access to them before you publish, regardless. It depends on the thing. Some things, you know, you can draw on your own experience. But, like, I, to do DID, I needed the readers. I couldn't have released the book without it. And, boy, I'm so glad that I did get them.
0: Thank you. Great.
2: Yes.
9: So are you guys strictly sci-fi and fantasy, or do you dabble in other genres of fiction?
4: Are you asking for submission to Writers of the Future, or are it's, you asking just about that, us?
9: Is, is, it just, is it just simply, is that what your group
2: does, the sci-fi end?
0: Okay, this contest fantasy. here is speculative fiction. So it's science fiction and fantasy, alternate history, um, uh, dark, uh, dark fantasy, but some speculative uh, fashion to it. We do have uh, the free online writing workshop that you can find on writersofthefuture.com. Uh, which gives the, the, all the different steps of how to write a short story, beginning and middle and end, that was uh, taught with videos by Orson Scott Card, Dave Farland, and Tim Powers. And we've had people, we've had journalists take it and help their writing. We've had um, other mystery writers have, have submitted and won awards by using this material. So this program here specifically is speculative fiction, but the, what you're given here applies to any fiction writing.
1: Um, and I also know, I mean, it, the bigger question, sometimes if authors write in very different genres, they will sometimes use different pen names so that the audience knows, like, oh, this one is science fiction and this one is a romance novel because they use a different pen name for each type of novel.
0: Thank you. Right, thanks. Yes.
1: Hello. Um, for this contest
7: specifically, like, what would you suggest is a good length for a short story?
0: Five,
4: three
7: to five thousand words, Carrie? So anything from flash fiction up to 17,000 words, you can enter. And speaking only statistically, the winners, the sweet spot tends to be from 4,000 to about 7,000 words. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you can't win with 2,500, and it doesn't mean you can't win with 15,000, but that's where we see most of the winners fall. Mm -hmm. And when I say most, I'm talking maybe it's just a plurality. It might not be a majority. So, Thank you.
0: Okay, Yes.
3: Okay, you kind of answered this uh, a little bit, um, but uh, where? how would you suggest someone uh, um, to get into, like, these genres that are oversaturated, like uh, sci-fi, vampires,
2: zombies, you know, stuff like that? Do you mean for the contest or just general publishing? Contest and in general. Write what you love. Um, is number one. Mm-hmm. I sat uh, in the audience at a panel at, the, um, at World Fantasy, uh, early 2000s, where a bunch of editors said, please don't write vampire fiction. Don't send it to us. We are not buying it. The vampire genre is dead, pun intended. And then Twilight came out one year later, um, right? <laughs> um, and so um, uh, we don't know what is actually saturated. Write what you love. now. I think it is excellent advice that you should have your own take on it. Um, You should add to the conversation. This goes for whatever genre you're writing in, whether it's vampire fiction or whether it's mysteries or whatever. You should be read in that genre and then be adding something. Say, what can I? Where can I take it in a different way? What What is my mark upon this genre? Uh, Asking yourself that and asking where your passions are um, that will lead you to add your distinctive stamp. I think is going to lead you to writing something that will will work, regardless of what the genre is.
0: Great. Thanks.
2: Yeah.
7: Um, This is more of a personal writing style question, but how many words do you generally write per day?
4: I've been told by one person that we should never answer that question. (laughs) Um, Well, partly because then you sit there and say, well, I can't hit that goal, so I can't write. Um, I asked. I think it was Fred Pohl, a long time back, back when I was a teenager. Uh, and he says he tries to write 1,000 words a day. I think that's a nice number. Um, but you have to understand, I mean, who was it, um, I'll get his first name all wrong, Taika Waititi? Taika Waititi? The, yeah, did
2: I get it the right? The director?
4: Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. he said that, that you know he sat in front of a blank screen one final draft for eight hours, and that's a day's work for him. It happens. Um, So there's that. I, frankly, you got to follow Todd McCaffrey's first law: allow yourself to be bad. Then Todd McCaffrey's zeroth law, which is write what you love. Um, But I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit there and say, you know, I only wrote twenty thousand words today. I'm a slacker. Just write it. Um, You will find, personally, what I found is that I'll get to a point where I think I'm done, fifteen hundred words. And then if I just give myself a bit of a nudge, I can get another 1,500 words. So.
9: And it gets faster with practice. Yep. <laughs> I have data on the first story I ever dictated. I dictated six words per minute. Today, if I don't do 30 words per minute, I feel like I'm failing. I have had 50 words per minute days. One story, I had 100 words per minute with practice. So if you set a goal today, set a larger one next month.
7: All right, cool, thank you.
9: Um, yeah, yes. um, I was just wondering, like,
8: how, how do you react when you um, find that your writing seems to be getting a little repetitive as you go along in a story, whether short or not, just a novella? Um, how do you try to like, spice it up, like trying to make it less repetitive if you feel like you're getting to that
6: point?
3: Well, uh, what I would suggest is, I mean, because there tend to be cycles of things, try-fail cycles, and what you do is you keep upping the stakes so that it's not just the same thing. It's something bigger, and the failure is bigger as well. Kill somebody.
2: Okay. (laughs) Changing the setting always really helps for me. If I'm in the middle of a book and I'm like, I feel like I've had too many people you know, sitting and talking about something, then I move to a new location.
0: Okay. Thank you. Yes. Now I just got the uh so I'm sorry for the rest of you that uh, we won't be able to answer your, your questions, but uh several of these people will be at our booth tomorrow from eleven a.m. till five p.m. and you're welcome over and talk to them and get the other questions answered. Um but anyway, thank you very much. Any last words from our panelists here? We've got
4: Please submit.
9: And and don't feel like I'm not ready. You are ready. The worst that can happen is you get a rejection and you learn something from it. The best that can happen is you can surprise yourself. Uh, Volume 31, the best volume, one of our members in that book, it was literally his first submission ever. So we we don't hate him much. But... (laughs) but
0: (laughs) You're ready to try. Great, and thank you very much. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Brandon Sanderson, Todd McCaffrey, carrie English, Martin Shoemaker, Eric James Stone, and Darcy Stone, Wolf Moon, and ZT Bright. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. I also want to thank Carnation for sponsoring this show. Their support is very much appreciated. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the US, Canada, the UK, Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon.com. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elvin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Salt Lake City Fanex.